Another good thing. I can't believe it's Wednesday already. I have enjoyed myself immensely here. This has been so great to come back to Tahoe Camp Meeting and to know that I don't have to put up the tents or take them down, Jerry. That's what I'm most excited about. But really, great things are happening on this campground. If you're not here in the mornings, hearing Kent Hansen, you're missing something. Uh, he really has some soul-stirring and, and idea-stirring uh, devotions. And also, my friend Ralph Watts, I was sitting in on his uh, meeting this morning. He is just full of stories, isn't he? And they're tremendously providential stories, how God works. You know, God works. We need to talk more about how God works. That's why I've thrown in a couple of stories that have nothing to do with the sermons. They're just camp meeting stories that I think camp meeting people ought to hear, okay? I think I told you Monday night I just returned from uh, a New England trip where we went to a lot of the places where our early church started. And it was inspirational to go to those places and see some of these old homes and, and places where things had happened. And one of the places that we went was by Joseph Bates' house. And I just thought of, uh, our, in fact, our guide told us a story that I had heard before about Joseph Bates. You know, he was a sea captain and he lived in Massachusetts and uh, he was a man that loved to walk and witness, and he was just full of energy. If any of you have seen a picture of Joseph Bates and his wife Prudence, her name was Prudence, she went by Prudy, you could tell they were very stalwart New England people, very serious looking people. But uh, we found out that Joseph Bates had a sense of humor. And I can remember one of the stories that was told uh, was about Joseph Bates and his York shilling. He had been a sea captain, and he was quite wealthy. Uh, he used a lot of his money, though, launching this work. You know, whenever the offering plate was passed, Joseph Bates put something into it. He put a lot into it. And he had given most of his fortune away. And he had heard about the Sabbath. You know, we got the Sabbath uh, from Seventh-day Baptist. Rachel Oaks Preston brought the Sabbath truth to Seventh-day Adventists. And he had heard about the Sabbath, and he read a little tract by a man, uh, T.M. Preble. And uh, he was convinced that the seventh day was the Sabbath. And so um, he thought somewhere along the line that he needed to write a, a, a little pamphlet also to introduce the Sabbath to uh, Adventists. You know, we're talking about Adventists now, the not the Seventh-day kind, but just Adventists. And so uh, Captain Bates thought that he should write a little uh, book about that. And so he was working on that one day in his study, and his wife came in. Gentlemen, now put yourself in Joseph Bates' shoes, okay? His wife came in, and she said, Joseph, I need some flour. You know, when you're dealing with heavenly realities and you're involved in intense study, and your wife comes in and says, we need some flour. I mean, that's not what you're thinking about, is it? And Joseph Bates didn't like to be distracted like that, but anyway, that's what happened. And so Mrs. Bates, Prudy, better known as Prudy, said, I need some flour. 
Joseph reached into his pockets and examined his, uh, um, his cash that he had on him. And he had one coin. It was a York shilling. It was worth about 13 and a half cents, I believe. It's all he had out of his fortune. And he said, well, Prudy, I don't have enough money to buy what you want, but I'll get a little bit of flour. I can afford a little bit of flour for you. And Prudy began to cry. Why is it that women do that anyway? Prudy began to cry. Oh, Joseph, has it come to this? We've given all of our money away. What are we going to do now? How is God, God going to provide money? And Joseph said, oh, Prudy, don't worry about it. The Lord will provide. Okay, remember those words. The Lord will provide. Anyway, Prudy retired upstairs to cry for a while. Joseph went out for a walk. He loved to walk. And he thought, you know, the Lord will provide. If we need something, God will provide it. So he went by the post office. And sure enough, there was a letter there in the mailbox. And he pulled it out, ripped it open, looked at it. And somebody had owed Joseph Bates $10 from way back there. And they were impressed to send him that $10. Now, that was big bucks back in the 1800s. And so he went to the store because Prudy needed flour. And he bought a 50-pound sack of flour. And he bought a bunch of other stuff, too. You, you, for $10, you could get a lot of stuff. And so he told the delivery guy, he had a horse and buggy, uh, this delivery guy. He told the delivery guy, he said, now, take it to this address. It's my house. My wife will not believe that you're delivering this here. But go ahead and leave it anyway on the front porch. And so that's what the man did. And when he arrived there and started unloading it, Prudy had came down from upstairs and she saw this guy loading this big old sack of flour and a bunch of other stuff on her front porch. And she said, hey, wait a minute, that's not, you're at the wrong place. This is not our stuff. And he said, yes, it is, ma'am. He said, I was told to deliver it and he gave the address. He said, this is the right place. She didn't know what to think. And the story goes on. Joseph comes home a little bit later. Sees all the stuff there on the front porch, sees Prudy, and she just couldn't believe that what would happen. Joseph reminded her, though, he said, God will provide. Then she started crying again. (laughs) But you know what? God will provide. He didn't give him just 10 bucks to buy some flour and stuff, but the Lord brought the money in so he could print that little pamphlet. And Joseph was never put off by a lack of funds just because he didn't have it. Do you ever worry that you're going to run out of money before the month is out or however when you get paid? Do you ever worry about that? Joseph never worried about that. One day he got on a train, didn't have money to buy a ticket, but he knew the Lord will provide. He figured before the conductor came around, he'd have the money. And sure enough, he did. You know, I can't explain it except to tell you that God will provide. The second story that I want to tell you this evening is also a true story. Not from the pioneers, but it does go way back. When I was a young boy, 
I would go to camp meeting in Texas. They had a big camp meeting at the time in Keene. Some of you know where that is. And during camp meeting, they had what they call Operation Lone Star. It was a way to raise big money for evangelism. And the union president, Elder Ben Leach, would get one of these blow-up swimming pools. They wouldn't pass an offering plate. They had a blow-up swimming pool over on the side of the pulpit. And people would come down after he had preached, and he made an appeal for people to bring money for soul winning, for evangelism. People would come down and they would put stuff in that swimming pool. They found money in there. There were checks in there. They even found a pair of false teeth in there one time. <laughs> and the one time that uh, uh, when they had made this appeal, there was a rolled up piece of paper put down in there with a whole bunch of other stuff. They would get thousands of dollars doing this. But anyway, that rolled up piece of paper was in there. So when they were pulling the money out and straightening it out and counting it and everything, they saw this piece of paper and it happened to be a deed to some property. And they thought, wow, this is, this is new. This is different. This is great. God moved upon somebody's heart to give a piece of property to God's work. And so they, they, uh, they had it appraised. It appraised for $30,000. Now this was back around 1968, 69, somewhere along in there. That was a lot of money for those days. It's still a lot of money today for people like me. But anyway, $30,000. And people said, oh, this is great. Let's sell it. Let's put the money into the Lord's work and let's go home so we can be home in heaven with Jesus. Elder Leach said, you know what? Sometimes property appreciates in value if you hold on to it a little bit. Boy, some of the brethren didn't like that idea. No, no, let's, get, let's sell it. Let's get rid of it now. Let's put the money in the Lord's work and, and, and let's get out of here. Elder Leach said, hey, just w- wait a minute. Let's see what God can do. Okay? So they put it away. They put it into a vault. They told the people what they were doing with that. They put that deed in the vault. Several years went by. Somebody remembered it. So they brought it out again and they said, you know what, we ought to have this stuff, this property appraised, reappraised. So they had it reappraised. It was now worth close to $300,000. It multiplied 10 times. I mean, this was, this was back in the late 60s. Well, let's put it into the Lord's work now and get evangelism done and get in some big evangelists and we'll, we'll get the work done in Texas. And when the work is done in Texas, then we'll go home. That's what they think down in Texas anyway. You know, you know how they are down there. Anyway, Elder Leach said, you know what? The Lord has blessed us thus far. Don't you think it would be a good idea if maybe we waited just a little bit longer? People didn't like it, but they put it back in the vault. Several more years went by. Somebody remembered it, brought it out again. They said, you know what, it's time to have this property reappraised. In the meantime, while that was curing in the vault, they decided in Texas that Love Field was not big enough in Dallas and that they needed to move the airport out between Dallas and Fort Worth to a place called Arlington and Grand Prairie. And that property lay under the airport. When it was appraised, it was now worth a million three. Can you believe it? 
I'll tell you, God blesses His work, doesn't He? I mean, that is a thrilling story. It was repeated just recently in a book that I read. It was written by the attorney that delivered the check to them for that. And so it brought that back to my mind. I'd heard it when I was a boy. In fact, I was there when all of those, the false teeth and everything came in. I remember that. I remember when that title came in. But I had forgotten about it over the years. But I want to tell you, God, God has all the riches in heaven, doesn't He? Why do we worry about stuff so much today? Is it, could it be a lack of faith? Very possibly, very possibly. But I'm here to tell you this evening that I have seen too many instances where God has blessed in a mighty and a wonderful way. He does. He doesn't do anything in a small way. He does it in a big way. And so I want to invite you into the scriptures this evening to look at another one of Jesus' seven intentional miracles that occurred on the seventh day Sabbath. Okay, seven and seven. Seven miracles, seven healing miracles of Jesus that occurred on the seventh day Sabbath. So turn with me, if you will, to John, the ninth chapter, and we'll begin in verse one. John 9, verse one. If you have your Bibles, I don't hear too many leaves rattling, I guess. Okay, there's the iPads and the cell phones coming out. Okay, I told you on the first night I'm not smart enough to use those yet, so I'm sticking with the Bible. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from what? Birth. This guy had always been blind. Okay? It's, it's one thing to go blind. It's another thing to have been born blind. Okay? This gentleman had been born blind at birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. You see, back in those days, they believed that any physical problem, if it was blindness or, or lameness or, or whatever, was the result of some sin that had been committed either by the person or by the parents. That'd be a pretty tough thing to live up to, wouldn't it? If you stop and think about it. If you were a parent and you had a handicapped child and the child was too young to have you know, committed any sin or done anything wrong, you think, as a parent, what did I do wrong? You know, so it would be a terrible thing to live with. Jesus is getting ready to slice that right out of their thinking. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't mince words. It goes on to say in verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. God was going to use this man for something. Now, here it is, folks. Let me remind you, this is a Sabbath that this is taking place. You've learned in the last two nights, at least, and you probably knew before that, did they take a very high view or a dim view of people being healed on Sabbath? What do you think? It was a very dim view. They didn't, uh, the, the religious leaders did not like that. They didn't want them doing anything on, on Sabbath like that. And then in verse 4 it says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, because the night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the, what? I'm the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, 
made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Can you put yourself in that position just for a moment? You know, we do things today in such a sterile environment. When, if you go to the doctor's office or you go to the hospital, what are they going to do? They're going to wash you up, aren't they? They're going to put uh, some kind of disinfectant and stuff like that on you. Then the doctors are going to go in there and wash and, and do this number, you know, and everything how they do. They're going to be sure that everything is clean. Jesus does just the opposite of that. Jesus quite often does just the opposite of what we would expect. He spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and then he put it on this guy's eye. You know, and and I'm wondering what this gentleman is thinking too, aren't you? Now remember, he hasn't seen Jesus. I don't know that he knows all that much about Jesus, except here is this man that's going to do something for him, and he puts this on his eyes. And, and you know, folks, if, if I'm in this man's place, I'm thinking, what in the world? is He couldn't see. Maybe it's a blessing he couldn't see. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying that what's happening is foreign to the way we would do it. Okay? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to our finite minds, though, right? But it evidently makes sense to Jesus. Then he told him in verse 7, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed, and what? He came back seeing. Put yourself once again in his place. He gets this mud smeared on his eyes. Somebody says, now, go wash in the pool of Siloam. You know what? That could have ended the story right there, couldn't it? Some people might have thought, you know what? I don't think I want to go down to the pool of Siloam and wash. I think I'll just wash here. What would have happened? End of story. You know what? When God tells us to do something, we better do it. And we better do it in the way that God tells us to do it. Amen? Because I think sometimes we miss blessings because we're not willing to do that. So here he is. He comes back seeing. Now the neighbors get involved. This is where it starts to get interesting. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? I mean, they're, they're seeing a different... You know, I wonder if he had a different look about him, too. You know, did, did he use a cane to walk along or, or feel along walls? Or did somebody grab his arm and help him? Or just what? But here's this guy walking now. And he's not tripping over anything. And they're saying, is this the guy that was, that was sitting out there begging? You know, this, the, the word traveling, that was back in the days, folks, before uh, uh, television and CNN and everything, Right? But the word began to spread. Some said, this is he. Others said, no, he is like him. But he said, I am he. Okay? He was taking the doubt right away from him. Then they said to him, how are your eyes open? And he answered and said, a man. Notice the word man is capitalized. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go wash in the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Don't you suppose, this this guy was probably the happiest guy on the planet. Because he was seeing for the very first time. 
You know, I've been here now three days, and I've been looking a lot. This place has so many memories for me. I was teasing you a while ago about the tents, but as I look at the tents, they have aged. It's easy to tell that. I've looked at the tent over there where we have the food. That's an interesting tent. That thing, that thing by the way, was old when I was here 10 years ago. It really is old now. So are some of those other tents out there. But you know, when they're remade, when they're refashioned, they're totally different. And this guy, just by having his sight restored, I think made him look different. The way he carried himself, the way he did, you know, I, I just, you have to put yourself in his position. What would it have been like to receive your sight? So verse 12 says, they said to him, where is he? Talking about Jesus, he said, I don't know. Then they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, the story gets even more interesting. Verse 14, now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes. I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. You know, these guys... They show up at every instance, don't they? The Pharisees. And they're talking about correct Sabbath keeping to the maker of the Sabbath. Isn't that incredible? Here's Jesus, the one that made the world, made the Sabbath. And they're talking about him, you're breaking the Sabbath. Something is definitely wrong here, right? In this story, it takes Jesus to unwind it. Now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. The Pharisees asked him again how he'd received his sight. Mentioned the clay. Therefore they said, this man is not from God. Put your finger there just for a sec. This man was not from God. Hey, this man is God. Amen? Who else could do that? This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. You know what? When Jesus did something, when Jesus spoke, it always caused division. I hate to tell you this. It was not just sweet little sermons out of Jesus. Yeah, he said some beautiful, sweet things. But I want to tell you that sometimes when Jesus spoke, it caused division among people. And that was, that's what was happening here. Some of them couldn't believe that this would actually take place. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received sight. But they weren't getting anywhere, so they thought, you know what, now let's bring the parents in. Let's interrogate them. So that's what they did. So they asked a question, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son. We know that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him for yourselves. You know, I, this, 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 to me, it's, there's some humor here. And there's also some sarcasm, isn't it? Hey, if you want to know the answer to this question, this is our son. We know, that, we know that he was born blind. We don't know how he got his sight, but he's here. You ask him. 
You ask him. I suppose everything got quiet. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he'd be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid of getting disfellowshipped. They were afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue. You know, back in those days, that was pretty serious stuff. In today's world, you leave one church, you go to another one. Back in those days, you leave the synagogue, you might as well be dead. It was a big deal. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they called the man who was blind and said, blind to him and, and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether this man's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. You know what? He was giving his testimony. And you know, folks, that is the most powerful thing that you can do is give your testimony. I was talking to a young man at supper tonight, a young guy, and he wants to be a pastor someday. See here? Oh, there he is back there. I was gonna, if you weren't here, I was going to say, if you want to be a pastor, you need to be in church. He's here, though. We were talking about it. Okay? One of the most powerful things that you can do is to give your testimony. Nobody else, nobody else, folks, has your testimony. You don't need to know everything. We were talking about that at supper. You don't need to know everything. All you need to know is that God is all-powerful, that God is your Savior. Righteousness is by Him, and you're following Jesus, and He is sanctifying you. He's the one that's doing the work. He's just asking that you align with his will. So he's giving his testimony. What did he do? How did he open your eyes? I told you already and you did not listen. Well, this, you know, this is pretty dangerous stuff. It really is to be saying to these guys. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I suppose if those guys were hot under the collar, you know, here is this guy, and, and you know, he's risking so much, and you know what, I told you before how this happened. What's up? Do you want to be his disciple? I suppose they were hot then. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. And yet he has opened my eyes. <laughs> Once again, it's testimony. It's his testimony. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it's been unheard of, of anyone opened the eyes of one that was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Wow. You know, it's getting better all the time. This story just builds to a climax. They answered and they said to him, you are completely born in sin and you're teaching us. And they cast him out. There you go. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered, who is, who is he, Lord? that I may believe. And Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking to you. 
a direct frontal encounter with Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? And this young man is giving his testimony about what God has done for him. You know, I want to tell you, folks, I don't care how good the pastor is, how effective the pastor is, how bright the pastor is, he can never replicate your testimony. Pastors move in their own world. They all have a testimony also. I have a testimony. Told you a little bit about it Monday night, but I have a testimony. You can't give my testimony. I can't give your testimony. You have to do that. It becomes effective in God's hand when you do it. You have to be willing to do it, though. This young man was willing to do it, wasn't he? I mean, he just got the best gift he'd ever been given handed to him. Jesus did it for him. What about you? Has God done something for you that only God can do? I have so many... I could get started on stories up here this evening, but I'm going to resist the temptation. By the way, didn't the Bible say when Paul was going to depart on the morrow, he preached till midnight? You remember that? I'm leaving here tomorrow. <laughs> I could preach till midnight just telling you the stories of what God's done for me. And you know what? They're replicated right here hundreds of times. It becomes powerful in the hand of God. Come on down. Come on down to the last verse. Well, look at verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? There they were putting their finger right on the problem, aren't they? Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus had a comeback, didn't he? But what's not, so, what's not as important as what we think about this story and how God guided this and how Jesus took care of this situation is what about us? I have to ask the question this evening. The, the text begs the question, are we blind also? Are we blind? I'm not talking about physical blindness. I'm talking very directly and very specifically and very focused on spiritual blindness. You know, that's one of the problems with churches, isn't it? We can be spiritually blind. Doesn't it say something about that in the book of Revelation? Yeah, you've read it. We need to be anointed with ISAV so that we can see. We think that we're, we think we understand everything, but we don't. We have to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Could it be that God has allowed spiritual blindness to come to his people because we have not been serious about following him? We have not been serious about giving our testimony. You know what? I'm going to say something to you. This is camp meeting, isn't it? I think you can say a little more at camp meeting than you might say on Sabbath morning when there may be visitors present, okay? I'm just going to talk to you a little bit. I think God wanted to come for us as a people years and years ago. You look at those early Seventh-day Adventist pioneers. I had the privilege of, 
of seeing some of that last week. You look at those people, they were fervent in their faith. They were fervent in their witness. Joseph Bates, Uriah Smith, those kind of people. It was not that there was no faith. Okay? I believe that God has delayed His coming because we have not been willing to really be used by God. Sometimes we're timid and afraid. I don't want to get into any Bible study with somebody because they may ask me a question I don't know. We talked about that at uh, supper tonight. They might ask me something I don't know anything about. I I don't know everything about the 2300 days. I don't know everything about, uh, uh, you know, some of these prophecies and some of these beasts. You don't have to know that. If somebody asks you a question about it, you can say, I'll check on it and I'll let you know next week. I've done that hundreds of times. But we haven't been very faithful in sharing our testimony. You know what? I don't think people, as I said, can we talk here? I don't think people are looking for a different set of doctrines. As good as they are. I think that they're looking for a people that they can align with, that are moving toward the kingdom, surrendered to God's will. They're willing to come along in these other areas. Elder Don Snyder was our um, uh, North American Division president. He was telling some of us one day, he said, you know, I walked into an airport. I was, I was early for a flight. And he said, I noticed the lady sitting over there and she was studying something. So he said, I went over there and sat down two or three chairs away from her. And I noticed that she was studying her Bible. And so, Elder Snyder thought, well, I'll make, just make a little conversation. He said, are you enjoying that book you're reading? She said, well, yeah, I, I am. I really am. I'm, I'm enjoying this. This is my Bible. I'm enjoying my Bible. And he said, oh, well, hey, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad you're, you're studying the Bible. And he didn't say any more. Then a minute, she looked back at him she put her Bible down her lap. She looked back at him and she said, Sir, she said, um, who are you? He said, well, my name's Don Snyder. Well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm a pastor. She said, well, can you answer some questions for me? Well, Maybe. And uh, she said, what kind of pastor are you? He said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. She said, I've been looking for one of you all of my life. (laughs) She said, Pastor, tell me about the Sabbath. He said... It's all about Jesus. That's all he said. She said, well, sir, tell me about what happens when a person dies. He said, it's all about Jesus. She asked him two or three more questions. You know what he said? It's all about Jesus. You know what Ellen White said one time, unless we base all of our sermons and our doctrines on Jesus Christ, 
then we're as, if we don't do that, we're going to be as dry as the hills of Gilboa. That's what happened to some of our early pioneers. They became dry as dust until they came to the 1888 General Conference, right? Where the subject of righteousness by faith was brought up and discussed. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of the 1888 General Conference, but as you look into their faces, it looked like all of them were mad. (laughs) You remember all of that. Terrible story. But from that began to flow the refreshing streams of righteousness by faith to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, lest some of you think that Elder Snyder let this lady down, he told us that he signed her up for a Bible course. He happened to have a thing in his pocket, one of those glow tracks. Have you heard of those things out here? Yeah, Central California promotes those a lot. Glow tracks. Has a little Bible study thing there. And then there is an invitation to have more Bible studies. And so he gave her a glow tract and he said, if you will fill this in, you'll have all your questions answered. But you know what? As I thought about that exchange, it is all about Jesus. It really is. Somewhere along the line, we get sidetracked. Not just as a church. We did that in 1888. I think at least... We have an abundance of material now. I, you know, I wonder sometimes, I hear people say, oh, I grew up under a very legalistic environment. And they use that somehow as an excuse that they don't need to witness or, you know, everything. Use that as an excuse. But you know what? There has been so much now written, said, preached about righteousness by faith. You have no excuse. I have no excuse. I can remember when that beautiful truth dawned on me. Now, I had heard it preached in my church, but somehow I didn't pick it up. But I was a student at Andrews University. I was walking along with another guy one day from California. We were talking about it. We had, we had a class together, and I said, what do you think about this righteousness by faith stuff? This was back in, in um, around 1970. I said, what do you think about that? He said, well, I believe what the teacher was saying, that there's not anything we can do to earn salvation. Whatever we do is because God has saved us, because Jesus has paid the price. Amen? Amen. Righteousness is by faith. There is no other way. That's it. Works follow, but works don't save us. I hope you got that all down. You know, there, there is, well, I won't go into that any further. I'm just saying, There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to understand that. It's clear in the Bible. It's clear in the spirit of prophecy. Okay? Those people, those early pioneers grew in their faith. You and I need to grow in our faith. Okay? But we need to witness to people about our experience. How God has led us. That's what people are looking for. They're not looking for another set of doctrine. You know, I can tell you there, there has been a change in the last... 50 years. I told you that I've been an Adventist now for 50 years. When my parents became Seventh-day Adventists, I was 12 years old. And I remember that we were searching for truth. Those numbers have dropped off in recent years. More people are looking for an experiential relationship with God. That's basically what they're looking for. If we have that... We should be sharing that with other people. 
Because the question that's answered here or asked here in this chapter in John 9 is, are you blind also? Because if you're blind, how can you lead someone else? And the way to receive your sight, your spiritual sight, is to be in touch with God through His Word. Amen? That's the only way I know to do it. Somebody asked, you remember HMS Richards? Yeah, you do. You're, you're of the same age group I am. Elder Richards was asked one time about, he said, he was asked, what, what do you think about righteousness by faith? What, what is it? He said, well, there's no other kind. That's the only kind there is. Another person he answered when he asked the same question was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, that's pretty, that's basic stuff, isn't it? There's really no reason why we should not be able to fathom that and understand that. Don't hide behind that. Accept that. Accept God's cleansing, saving grace, and then help others to have the same experience. It doesn't have to be perfect, folks. You just have to be willing. There's so many, there, there are so many ways out there that we can study with people now and, and help them. Somebody, uh, well, I think it was, was Ralph mentioned this morning about Tanzania. I went over there about five years ago and did an evangelistic meeting. I thought, how in the world am I going to be able to speak to them, you know, where they can understand, well, there was a translator, obviously, but I mean to be able to put myself in their position. I can do that here in the United States, but you go to a foreign country, it's a little different, isn't it? But you know, I have found those people just as hungry for salvation as anybody. They may speak a different language, but they have a hunger in their heart. A God-sized hole, I think you said, or maybe it was their speaker this morning. A God-sized hole or a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. You know what? We're bound to be in this world many more years. Unless something changes, okay? Talking to the camp meeting crowd now again. We're going to be around here a lot longer until we're willing to put it all on the altar and allow Jesus to use us. I was starting to say something while I go and I forgot what it was. Uh, I was trying to tell you that you move in a different world than I do. Where you work, people you know, all of that. I will never know those people. There's no way. It's impossible. But you're there. You're the one that God put there. And so you have an obligation to witness. Ellen White says, and and I'm going to close with this and I'll sit down. Ellen White says in the book Steps to Christ, I've forgotten the page. But she says, no sooner does one receive... Salvation then is born in his heart a desire to make known to others what a precious friend he's found in Jesus. Do you have that precious friend this evening? I hope that you do. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He loves us all. He wants all of his children to be. You know, sometimes people ask me, hey, pastor, haven't we been doing this long enough? I mean... Why hadn't Jesus come yet? Well, I want to remind you this evening that not everybody has had a chance to accept Jesus yet. And 
Every day that goes by is another opportunity for someone to accept Jesus. And by the way, Jesus doesn't run on the same time frame we do. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there's a text in the Bible that says, With God, a thousand years is like what? One day. A day is like what? A thousand years. God is not concerned. God moves in a different, different, uh, uh, what am I thinking? Dimension? Whatever. That sounds kind of new age, doesn't it? God just, it's true though, God moves in a, time is immaterial to God. Think about, think about what it would mean if Jesus were to come, let's say in three months. What would you be doing? Would you be blind or would you be studying your Bible? Would you be witnessing? Would you be concerned about your family? Would you be concerned about your fellow church members? Sure, all of those things you'd be doing if you knew Jesus were going to come in that short of amount of time. I don't know that we'll all live to see Jesus coming. I, 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 um, I guess when I was baptized in 1960, I thought that... Um, the work would probably be finished in maybe a year. There was about a million Seventh-day Adventists in 1960. And every self-respecting Texas Conference Church had everyone win one in 61 over their back door. That was something the conference was encouraging. Everyone win one in 61. I got to thinking, you know what? If there's a million Seventh-day Adventists... And I told you the other night, I'm all that that good at math. Anyway, a million, and if they all won one, that would be two million, right? And that's way over 144,000. I'm thinking Jesus has got to come in 1961. That's got to be the year. He's not here yet. But obviously it's closer than it's ever been. And we never know, do we? how long we will last, how long we will live. But we know that Jesus is coming. It will be soon. For some of us, it will be very soon because we may not live that much longer. You know, I think of my parents and, I, you know, I think about the, the generation that they grew up in and they were, and what they were doing. And uh, I told you our pastor in San Antonio put up a tent and held an evangelistic meeting. It was a little smaller than this tent, but uh, he held an evangelistic meeting. It was Joe Cruz. He was a preacher of our church. Held an evangelistic meeting. I think 40 of us were baptized. And I was sure Jesus was coming. I was sure I'd never be able to grow up and go to school and get married and all of those things. But here I am, an old man. But you know what? I still believe this message more than ever before. I have never had any regrets about following Jesus. And I know you feel the same way. God is so wonderful. God is, God wants to, I just get the picture. Here's Jesus. I told you this the other night. Here's Jesus ready to go. Father, is it today? No, wait, there's a few more down there. Need to hear. Jesus is ready to go. Okay. And so I think that we want to cooperate with Jesus. Be willing to share your faith. That's what it means to share your faith. Don't be afraid. Share your faith with other people. 
We have marvelous stories of people that have been willing to share their faith. And we see many people accepting Jesus. There's still thousands being baptized in some of these countries. And so we still have a work to do. I just pray that God will continue to bless uh, not only this camp meeting, these, the conferences that are surrounding here that you come from and that, that uh, are helping finish this work. But you know what? It doesn't depend on the conference. It doesn't depend on the conference president. It depends on each one of us and our willingness to follow Jesus and to allow Jesus to use us. Heavenly Father, this evening we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. Lord, you have called some of us a long time ago. A lot of time has gone by. Some people have even become discouraged and are giving up because it's been so long. But Father, I pray that we will not be blind to the signs of the times that are rapidly fulfilling about us. Lord, as as we see nations rising against nation and threats and rumors of war and all of that, Father, it reminds us of what the Bible says, that these things will happen and they will increase as the coming of Jesus nears. So, Father, this evening, while we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask again one more time, is there anyone here that would like to say, Jesus, please help me to hang on. I want to be ready when you come. Heavenly Father, you see these hands raised heavenward, and more important than that, you can read our hearts. You know if we really mean it. And so, Father, I pray that we will hang on. We may not be able to meet like this, Heavenly Father, again in this life. But help us to be able to meet with the saints of all the ages throughout eternity around the sea of glass and on streets of gold. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Continue to do it, Lord. And when Jesus comes, I pray that all of us will be ready to meet him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Saints of the Most High.